0: Welcome to Saltier Politics this week, Julie. This is a massive episode right now. I'm I've been very
1: happy the last week. I've been stepping very lightly.
0: That's a thing I, I I I keep waiting for a shoe to drop because 2020 has taught me to not truly be just settled and happy about anything because the shit always hits the fan. So I don't know what I'm really waiting for. But again, Trump not wanting to, I guess, have a peaceful transition is is still concerning me, not letting me fully lean into happiness.
1: Not to be a buzzkill, but this is saltier politics. What the depressing part about this is, is how many Americans refuse to acknowledge the inevitable and, and are believing this nonsense about voter fraud. I mean, with no evidence, with no, with nothing. I mean, what I've heard, honestly, some examples of what I've heard oh, it's voter fraud because the media was against Donald Trump. That's not voter fraud. Oh, this election was stolen because um, Twitter sanctioned Donald Trump from spreading lies um, about voter fraud. No, it's, that's not calling this election stolen. Um, and so on and so forth. I mean, they can't produce any evidence that would change the trajectory of the vote in any of these hard-to-count states. Um And the reason they're hard to count or they're not even hard to count. the reason that we have a delayed count is because the legislature in Pennsylvania, the legislature in Arizona, and the legislature in a lot of these other states refused to allow the vote to be counted until after the polls closed. That's why it's taken so long and it was and- completely legal too. They did this cynically to sow doubt in the outcome of the election because they knew that the vote by mails would trend democratic. Because obviously Trump told everybody who supported him not to vote by mail because somehow that was going to be a corrupt process. So they understood that the vote by mails were going to be typically more democratic. That's a problem. I mean, that's a problem because you legitimately have things that are bigger than Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And that's called the outcome of this election. The other thing I've heard is, well, Democrats, you know, didn't acknowledge Donald Trump as a legitimate president. For four years, so why should we do this now? Well, wait a second. You could at once say that the Russians helped Donald Trump win the election by dropping a bunch of stuff at very precise moments during the 2016 campaign and still acknowledge that he won the electoral college, right? I mean, people just people don't understand the difference between what they feel about somebody and what the law provides for. And Donald Trump went to the White House as the incoming president, met with the outgoing president, Barack Obama. Barack Obama and his opponents Hillary Clinton, showed up to Donald Trump's inauguration. Nobody ever said, oh, you can't inaugurate Donald Trump because he didn't win. That never happened in the Democratic side. We had a peaceful transition of power the same way we've always had it, where the outgoing president has shepherded in the incoming president. This administration refuses to do that. This administration refuses to even turn over transition funding. I don't even understand what we're dealing with here. I understand that Donald Trump is mentally ill and always has been. What's sick about this is the millions of people he has infected with his mental illness. I did not realize it was contagious until now, but apparently mental illness really is a contagious thing. And he's contaminated people with it.
0: Right. And it's contaminating the whole basis of what democracy is, our democracy is built on is, is being able to have faith in these election and the electoral process and in the long term damage that's doing. We can't tell right now, but, but what do you think long term? How, how is this going to impact future elections? Because it sets a dangerous precedent sets a very dangerous
1: precedent. And the precedent that it sets is that we no longer have something we agree on, which is how elections are held. And what's happening now is, look, a lot of this, don't underestimate how much of this is being influenced by outside nefarious forces, whether it's Russian bots or others from across the world who really don't care about Donald Trump, but care about sowing discord in our electoral process. You have Vladimir Putin, who was furious because he believed 15 years ago, if not more recently, that Hillary Clinton, when she was secretary of state, was behind all those mass protests happening around his elections in Russia in vowed retaliation. So he would love nothing more than to see, to have to show footage on Russian state television of boarded up storefronts in New York, and people rioting and people looting and people refusing to acknowledge the legitimacy of the election none of which has happened by the way there's been no rioting or looting in new york um, and all the boarded up shops have now unboarded themselves up because there's no reason to be concerned but what people don't understand on the trump side these people who who, who look at social media whether it's facebook or twitter is they're being influenced by people who don't wish the country well and Every time they legitimately come up with, well, so-and-so said this, well, so-and-so said that, well, who the hell is so-and-so, and where do they come from, and where are they tweeting from, and on whose behalf? And they're basically being infected by foreign propaganda. It's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. I mean, it's just brutally dangerous. And when you've got people like Mark Zuckerberg, who don't do much to stop it, that says to me that you know, it's, it's, it's profit uber alles. He doesn't care as long as he makes some money, but right. it's awful for this democracy. It's awful for the future of this country. It's, it's incredibly concerning. So, you know, there you go. You want to know what the other shoe dropping is? It's that it's, you know, we, we might have won the battle here, but the war is far from concluded and it's not trending in a good direction.
0: Well, speaking of a battle that's not over, what are you, what are you feeling about the Georgia races? Because these are huge, and how do you, I guess, also want to keep voter interest? Do you think people will, the same amount that we saw, will come out to vote during the runoffs?
1: Stacey Abrams certainly is going to do what she's going to do and what she has done. And I, you know, uh, this pod has long admired Stacey Abrams. And as you know, I was, I recall we were sort of pushing her, hoping that she was going to be um, Biden's pick for, for, VP, because she's just amazing to me. I love her. I love how fearless she is. I love how self-confident she is. Um, And she did something incredible. I mean, she lost her election in Georgia. A lot of that was because, not because of voter fraud, but because of voter suppression. Laws in Georgia and the South have made it very hard for people of color to vote. That's the whole point. So what did she do? She decided to stop the disenfranchisement and she spent the last two years trying to enfranchise more women of color and people of color to vote. And she did. And she did that so successfully that Georgia is now on the cusp. Well, Georgia did turn blue in the presidential election, but Georgia is very much on the cusp of becoming the next Virginia, where if maybe not this cycle, in a couple of cycles, it'll be a reliably blue state. And um, that says something. I mean, the heart of the Confederacy becoming a blue state like that powered by not by the segregationists that used to power the democratic party in Georgia a um, hundred years ago, but powered by the very descendants of slaves and others who were disenfranchised um, for the last, you know, six, since the year 1600 or whatever the first slave ship landed here in the United States. So I think that's amazing. And I don't know whether it's going to happen this year, in January. I do know that if anybody wants to spend a few bucks down there, they should send some money to Fair Fight, which is Stacey Abrams organization down in Georgia, in addition to maybe if they want to spend, send some money to um, the Democratic candidates down there to Ossoff and to Warnock. But um, we'll see. I mean, it's 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 the story of Georgia is not necessarily just about what's happening in January. The story of Georgia is is watching the transformation of Georgia to becoming what is hopefully going to be another Virginia, um, a state that is powered by a combination of African American and other voters of color, it's not just African Americans, combined with college educated voters in the Atlanta, um in Atlanta proper and in the in the Atlanta suburbs, which I think is, is great. Because Atlanta, I don't know, have you ever been in Atlanta? No. So Atlanta is like they call it the New York of the South, but I mean, Atlanta is a legit awesome place. I mean, you've got the CDC, you've got, um, Emory university, you've got CNN. I mean, you've got major institutions in Atlanta. Um, even one of those would be huge, but they've got a bunch of them. And so, um, Atlanta is by no means, you know, this, this, this impression that people have of, of the deep South, um, from Gone with the Wind I mean it's 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 a really cosmopolitan incredible city and it attracts a lot of people you know look they've got a they've got a burgeoning celebrity circuit down there um it attracts a lot of people and I think combined with institutional um actors that have been in Georgia for for generations if not centuries um that's what's turning Georgia blue
0: Well, another big thing on Election Day was a lot of legalization for cannabis around the country. And then also mushrooms and psychedelics for therapeutic use in Oregon and I think D.C., uh, which was interesting.
1: My home state legalized, New Jersey legalized um, marijuana at long last through a referendum. Uh, They couldn't get it done legislatively but they did it through a referendum and overwhelming i mean overwhelming support for legalization um as you know i hate pot <laughs> it does it does not agree with me um but i'm thrilled I'm, I'm really happy about that and um i've never known anybody to smoke a joint and go out and and shoot up a a school but i've I've certainly seen stories about people drinking and doing that. So if alcohol is legal, I don't know why marijuana has been illegal all these years, other than stupid um, movies that we were shown when I was in in junior high school, which I think, Emily, by the time you were in junior high school, you didn't do anymore. But, like, it's a gateway drug and reefer madness, and you're all going to go insane if you
0: smoke pot. And the reality is, of course, none of that is true. Pot is a gateway to carbs. That's about... Is that right? It's a gateway to just large amounts of carbs and Domino's pizza bowls, but I would... Pot pot is a gateway to making me unhappy, so I I do not like (laughs) pot. But Um, I guess the taxation purposes for pot can go to so many good things.
1: Well, there's the social justice angle and there's the fiscal angle, right? The social justice angle is that you and I both know full well that if my little blonde son in 10 years got busted with a couple of dime bags, he'd be fine. But if his counterpart in the inner city who's black got busted, they'd have a record for the rest of their lives and they'd have a hard time as a result getting a job because they'd have to check a box saying they've been convicted of a felony. They'd have to um, check a box if they wanted to rent an apartment saying they've been convicted of a felony, which would preclude them in some places from being able to rent an apartment. Um, so it's a really awful thing. The social justice component of this is awful. New Jersey, I think if I'm not mistaken, has the highest record of arrest for pot. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but one of the highest records um, in the country and black kids or black people are three times more likely or people of color, I shouldn't say just black people, um, are three times more likely than white people to get arrested despite the fact that they consume this stuff at the same rates. So what does that tell you? There's a huge racial component to this. There's a huge justice component to this. But there's also a huge fiscal component to this. People are sick, and I've seen the polling on this, people are sick of spending money prosecuting crimes like marijuana possession, right? They think like their money could be better used for better things. And why you're spending resources police resources, which are not cheap, law enforcement resources, um, time with the courts. All of this is a taxpayer expense. To prosecute pot crimes is something that people, even people who don't have a vested interest in cannabis legalization because they don't smoke themselves or consume it themselves, they think is stupid. There's just no reason to spend that kind of money on that particular quote unquote, crime. So when you combine those two factors, it stands to reason that people overwhelmingly support legalization.
0: Right. Oh, I also wanted to bring up with you because I just thought it was highly amusing. In Pennsylvania, the Four Seasons landscaping incident (laughs) with Rudy Giuliani. But did you hear they're going to I think they're arranging a road race from Four Seasons landscaping to the Four Seasons Hotel, Hotel, which I thought if I was in Philly right now, I would absolutely run that. But (laughs) yeah, I know where the Four Seasons Hotel is
1: in Philly. I actually know Philly fairly well. Um, I grew up about an hour outside Philly um, in New Jersey. So I, I, you know, I've spent some time there. But the Four Seasons Hotel is right in Center City. It's a great, you know, but um, I'm not sure about Four Seasons landscaping. I think I roughly know where it is. If it's across from a crematorium and a and a strip club, I, I I generally know where those kinds of institutions would be located in Philly. It is nowhere near the Four Seasons. But you know, remember that sign? You watch Seinfeld, right? Yeah. Remember that episode? I keep saying this. Remember when Tim Watley, the dentist, who's played by Brian Cranston, who then went on to to be the lead guy in Breaking Bad, but when he converted to Judaism. And started telling these Jewish jokes and Jerry was all like offended and he goes to talk to a priest about it. And the priest goes, are you offended as a Jewish person? And Jerry goes, no, I'm offended as a comedian because the jokes are so lame. Oh my God. Like I'm not offended as a Democrat. I'm offended as somebody who does this for a living. The fundamentals of any campaign, you find the most basic congressional campaign, never mind a presidential. And they have something called an advance team where somebody does what is known as advance, which means that they go and they advance the location. They you check it out. This. They, 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 they check it out. They see what it looks like. They see what the optics will look like. They see what's around. They see how the cameras would be staged if you're anticipating press, which obviously this Giuliani press conference was anticipating. It like It's always some. 25-year-old kid on a big campaign, a presidential campaign. It's not a 25-year-old kid in a presidential campaign. It's, you know, a, dozens of people are responsible for this. But at least on a congressional campaign, you'll, you'll send an intern, if you don't have anybody else, to go check it out. Just be like, go check it out. Go talk to the owner, see how we're going to stage this, see where the camera is going to, where the risers for the cameras are going to go. Nobody did this. Mm-mm. For the president of the United States, nobody bothered to do this. And lo and behold, they of course don't end up at the real port. Never mind. How do you call the Four Seasons? You don't call one. I don't think you call 411 anymore. I think what you do is you go to fourseasons.com, whatever the website for the Four Seasons is. I don't know who owns them right now. And you get the phone number of the hotel and you call that number. How do you confuse it in this day and age? And how do you? I mean it just it's it's so inept that again i'm not offended as a jewish person i'm offended as a comedian I'm not offended as a democrat i'm offended as an operative you just don't do this kind of stuff and then not only that if you have somebody speaking at your press conference you vet them always like i'm not going to call emily Desisio up to speak at a presidential press conference or stand next to any principal of any campaign unless i make sure that emily DeSisio doesn't have Something in her background that's going to embarrass me. Who's the first guy they bring up? This perennial candidate for office from New Jersey, who now claims he lives in Philadelphia. Last time I checked, he was running for office in Trenton, New Jersey, but okay. Who has was arrested for child either molestation or porn, or I forgot what, but something to do with children. Who's a deadbeat dad. And nobody bothered to do background on this guy. Nobody bothered to, like, you Google this guy's name, this comes up in 30 seconds because he's run for office so many times in a different state from where he claims to have been voting. So if this guy is a criminal, why are you bringing him up to vouch for you? And if you're Rudy Giuliani and you've been in the news lately for maybe having your hands down your pants around a woman that... (laughs) was projected to be 15 years old in the Borat movie. She wasn't in real life, but that's how old she was claiming to be in the Borat movie. Maybe you stay away from guys who've got issues with child molestation or child porn possession. It's just, uh, you can't make this up. You just cannot make this up. It's like nobody cares. Right. And what what kills me is that it would be funny if it weren't for the fact that there's so many people in Trump world who don't believe it. They just think it's all false. Like they don't believe their own, like, are you gonna believe me or your lying eyes? Okay, I'll believe you. I'm not gonna believe my lying eyes. It's right there
0: in front of them. Right. And they tried to um, did you see like in some QAnon boards they were trying to legitimize it, being like Rudy was uh showing some kind of like election fraud or some money mishandling? And it's just like so dumb. And, and and I think what makes me so salty, too, is like they take their voters as as this dumb to believe some of these narratives that that this was intentional because this look, just Donald Trump
1: never had any respect for his voters. Howard Stern was absolutely right. And if you're from New York and, you know, you've been following the clown show that has been Donald Trump since the 1980s, um, which I have. What you know is this. Donald Trump would not be caught dead socializing with his voters. Donald Trump would not be caught dead respecting his voters. Donald Trump wants to hang out with celebrities and other rich people. They just don't want to hang out with Donald Trump. But Donald Trump wants nothing more than to be accepted by the very people who did not vote for him. And disdains, tremendously disdains, the people that are supportive of him. I I hate to say this, but if you live in a mobile home in Oklahoma, Donald Trump doesn't want to know you. He'll take your vote the same way he'll take your money. If you're, you know, back in the day when you go to Macy's and you buy his stupid branded ties. But he's not going to, he has no respect for you. And he has no respect for you because... You could be the hardest working janitor on the planet, right? Or the hardest working waitress on the planet. I respect you because you work really, really hard. Donald Trump doesn't respect you because you don't make a lot of money. Right. And that's the part that he doesn't like the people that vote for him. For the most part, he does not respect them. He doesn't. Jared and Ivanka, where do they hang out? Where, where are they desperately going to try to get back into when they come back to New York? Back into the New York... They're going to want to go back out to the Hamptons. They're going to want to hang out at the New York social scene. The Hamptons may not be inviting them back, but the reality is they're not going around. They're not vacationing in you know in, in, in Alabama. Right. Where people for them? They're going to be... They're gonna be desperate to get back into the social circle. They have publicly, or their father has publicly excoriated the swamp that he keeps talking about, which of course would never rival the swamp that he created. But the people to whom he refers to as the swamp, those are the people he's dying to hang out with, that they're dying to hang out with. Where do you think Donald Trump Jr. lives? I know the building. I've got three friends in that building. And believe me, none of them want anything to do with him. Right. Harry Seinfeld lives in that building, by the way. I believe Diane Sawyer still lives in that building.
0: Right. You're not saying, oh, yeah, Trump Jr. lives in this building as a way to, like, attract people to it. And I I mean, even look at, like, places, you know, Equinox. People, once they heard that the owners gave to the Trump campaign, people were like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And Equinox is like a New York institution for a lot of people. Like, they love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, so let's just be very clear about where the Trumps choose to live and whom the Trumps choose to socialize with.
0: They're not inviting, you know, a lot of Floridians to local Floridians to Mar-a-Lago.
1: No. And what's going to happen to Mar-a-Lago is
0: this is going to be fascinating, right? All the people who
1: joined Mar-a-Lago over the last four years because They wanted to be close to the president because they wanted favors for their business. That's going to go bye-bye now. That's going to go away. The problem for Donald Trump is all the people whom he disdains privately, but, you know, gets them to believe somehow that he's on their side publicly, they're not going to be able to make up the difference because they're not going to be paying 250,000 bucks, whatever it is a year, to be a member at Mar-a-Lago. It's going to be a really hard reckoning, which brings me to the fear that I've had and I think I've alluded to before. Donald Trump's about to be in a really bad way financially so he's got a couple of options that he's that he can do one is he can continue to milk to brand himself and milk all the supporters that he has to make money which means that he can pretend he's going to run for president again for the next four years and they're going to send him money and he's going to start a. you know if you notice know if you saw this he started a super PAC. as long 501c4 as long as it's for quote-unquote educational purposes the majority of it not all of it but You know, a little over 50% of it and educational purposes. You can pretty much spend it on anything. The law is really, really, really fluid. So he's going to milk it that way to pay for his own travel and to to pay for, you know, he's going to, every time he goes to um, Mar a Lago, I'm sure he's going to, you know, have the super PAC pay for it. I mean, the super PAC is about to become the biggest boondoggle ever. But And that's fine. If he wants to do that, whatever, that's that's up to him as his supporters for being dumb, understanding that this is nothing more than a way to support Trump and Trump's family and to put a lot of his family members and their girlfriends and other people on the payroll um, as opposed to actually doing anything productive. But OK, if you want to blow your money, you can. What concerns me more is that he has a tremendous amount of money that he's on the hook for coming due in the next couple of years. And probably a ton of legal bills that he's going to have to pay, which I'm sure the super PAC is going to spend some money having to pay for. And what concerns me is what's in his head, what's in Jared Kushner's head, and whether they'll be able to sell it to the highest foreign bidder in exchange for deals in Moscow or in Riyadh or in Beijing or in Qatar, or in any of these other places. Don't forget, he's had access to the president's daily brief for the last four years, and so is Jared Kushner. Right. And that's what scares me. What scares me is how they're going to monetize that. That's terrifying. That's if a- I'm an American asset now. If I'm an American asset and I'm undercover somewhere in the in the Russian military, for example, if I'm some Russian colonel and I've been um, secretly an American asset for all these years, I get really worried about what happens to me when Donald Trump is star for cash. And anybody who thinks that's an exaggeration doesn't understand how completely unpatriotic and selfish Donald Trump is. That's terrifying.
0: I had no idea about that. And that's a very good thing for people to know. And I really think that sh- that whole idea should get a lot more publicity. <laughs> because well, that's very you
1: know, scary. I don't know how to solve that. I don't know how to what, what you do about that, right? Because it's information that they have and it's information that's in their heads and it's information that you can't do brain lobotomy, right? Like how do you prevent them from from, from saying something? Right. I mean, Donald Trump goes to Moscow because he wants to open up a Trump Tower in Moscow in the midst of conversations with whoever there all of whom are on putin's payroll they get him to blurt so it's not that hard i mean he's not exactly a rocket scientist they get him to maybe even inadvertently blurt out stuff that he shouldn't be blurting out right i mean he does it and on in stage, in stage in front in of people for that, and in exchange for that they eased permitting process to build a trump tower in moscow which puts a lot of money in his pocket that's really terrifying
0: is that what's making you salty this week because that holy crap that's, i think exactly. that's very scary Right. That's making me sleep. That's actually making me
1: really terrified and it has for a long time. I've been talking about that for a very long time. Um, he apparently never really bothered to read the president's daily brief that carefully, but I bet you Jared did. Right. And who's also not a rocket scientist.
0: But that is and- something for leverage that is interesting enough to get you out of certain financial issues. Like, that is... That will make someone look up.
1: Well, think about this: If you're um, Mohammed bin Salman, right, and you know that the Kushner companies is uh, dangerously overleveraged and has financial problems, which they do, um, and you're Mohammed bin Salman, and you built a good relationship with Jared Kushner, which he has, and you're not exactly an ethical person, which he's not, since he uh, did order somebody to be decapitated and chopped into little pieces because uh, he was a critic of, that's Jamal al-Kashoggi from the Washington Post, a critic of the Saudi regime. So, you invite Jared Kushner um, to Riyadh to talk about real estate development. It's not, you know, I'm not suggesting that Jared Kushner or Donald Trump are going to be knowing spies. They're not going to be Aldrich James. What I'm suggesting is that the right amount of money, they'll be ar- around the right kind of people that will be able to extract information out of them, because they're professionals. That's what they're trained to do. Those people, and that's terrifying. You know, Barack Obama and George Bush um, and others didn't have those kinds of financial pressures, but you're talking about people who are incredibly overleveraged. They're in drastic debt that's the biggest, that is a massive security risk. Somebody like that would never be accepted to work at the CIA as a, as a starting analyst, if you have that kind of stuff in your background. If you've got the kind of financial problems that the Kushners and the Trumps have, you'd never, ever, ever work in intelligence. Forget having access to the highest level of intelligence ever. That's, making, it's not, that's not making me salty, that's beyond salty. It's making me terrified. Well, what is making you salty? You know, what's making me salty is just this continued nonsense um, about people not understanding that this election was not stolen, that just because it didn't turn out the way you thought it turned out. The part that's making me really salty is um, my old friends at Fox News, who of course know better. Why are they continuing to allow the Sean Hannity's of the world spout this nonsense
0: you saw with the hot mic with sandra smith that it's like yeah sandra smith Smith is a smart woman
1: sandra smith knows exactly what's going on and and this kabuki dance that they're forcing that the that fox news is forcing their smart anchors to go through is insane and when you've got somebody like neil cavuto getting plaudits for turning off kaylee macon because she's spreading just completely ridiculous disinformation and that he gets slammed by Tucker Carlson obliquely for doing it is insane. And that's where, this goes above and beyond the second floor of Fox or wherever the executives sit now. This is Rupert Murdoch. Like, Rupert Murdoch has got to put an end to this. He just does. And it's, you know, this is not an organization that's known to do stuff for anything other than its bottom line. We're getting to a point in American history that we have never had before and I really wish cooler heads would prevail and make it clear that this cannot go on because they're they're ginning up their viewers for profit but completely contrary to what all evidence shows show us the evidence seriously show us the evidence right that there was such widespread voter fraud that Pennsylvania would have gone Republican Nevada would have gone Republican Arizona would have gone Republican Georgia would have gone Republican um, Wisconsin Michigan back going I mean show us the evidence there is no evidence of widespread voter fraud that would have changed the trajectory of 10,000 20,000 100,000 however many number of votes
0: it just doesn't exist Absolutely. And, and even, you know, you had mentioned this before, it was the Pennsylvania GOP who, who, who voted against counting votes earlier, even opening the ballots and straightening, straightening them out so they could be easily counted ahead of election day. They're like, no, 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 we have to wait, which is not on the Democrats at all. That's, that's them making a stance and making a decision and be complicit in this whole voter fraud or there's something fishy theme that's happening.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just absurd. And I wish people would just stop. The reality is I know how people feel on the other side about Donald Trump losing. Cause that's exactly how I felt when Donald Trump won. Right. I got it. You're sad that he lost. So pick yourself up and work really hard for the next four years to elect a Republican the way I worked really hard for the last four years to get Democrats into office. I know it. I know it's, like, what's interesting to me is I was at Fox. I don't know if I ever told the story publicly I, on election night in 2012, I was in the green room, um, with Laura and and Tucker Carlson and I, it was late. We're waiting to go on. Um, and if you remember, that's when Megan Kelly did her little her, her walk, um to the brain room because ohio had been called and carl Rove had his little fit right and i just had this great conversation with tucker carlson who was bummed laura ingram was apoplectic and beside herself but obviously they were unhappy that donald trump sorry that that barack obama had won and Mitt romney had lost and that ohio had gone for obama they were really bummed i think laura ingram actually got up and left i don't think she even stuck around like really bummed, as bummed as I was when, in 16 when Trump won. But the reality is, and Tucker and I had this great conversation um, about it, and by the time I was done talking to him, he's like, he made me feel a little better. But at no point in that conversation did Tucker say, oh, my God, I just think Barack Obama stole Ohio, or he stole Florida or whatever other state that clinched it for him. Flash forward eight years later, and they really are saying this kind of stuff. Now, what's changed? Have Democrats really become so almighty powerful that we're now suddenly able to get hundreds of thousands of fraudulent votes out there, especially in states that are controlled by Republicans? Like, for example, in Georgia, where the Secretary of State is a Republican, somehow we're able to bamboozle him, or in Arizona we're able to bamboozle them? Or is it possible that you just lost an election. It happens the same way we lost it four years ago. But what happened to the Tucker Carlson that I knew eight years ago compared to the Tucker Carlson that I've heard? I haven't watched him, but I've I've read about what he said the last week. Nothing other than this is what the base demands. This is what the viewership demands, and I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to give them bread and circus. It's the old Roman thing. You want to keep the masses happy? Give them bread and circus. And that's what they're giving them. Tucker knows better. Of course he does. Right. I know him. He knows much better. They all know better. It's like Trump. They're fooling the viewers. They're giving the viewers what the viewers want. It is the tail wagging the dog. Because it's ratings and it's profit above all else. Just my advice to my Republican friends, and I mean it, who are bummed about this, Go work your asses off to defeat Joe Biden in four years or whoever the Democratic nominee is. Do what Stacey Abrams did. Do what Stacey Abrams did. Exactly. Do it fair and square. Go register some more Republicans. Right. Go make your case. I mean, seriously, go make your case. You've got some good openings. You made your case to Latinos in a way that got a lot of them to vote for Donald Trump this year. You're on a trajectory. Keep going. I mean, I can't believe I'm giving this advice against the interests of my what I believe are the interests of the country, but that's how you do it. It's hard work. It's not cheating. It's hard work. It's the same way you do anything well. If I cheated my way through high school and college, I wouldn't be good at my job because I would have will have cheated. <laughs> yes. But I worked really hard and I learned some stuff and that's why I'm good at my job. Right. Same thing. You work really hard You deal with the setbacks you have, you learn from them, and then you do a good job, and that's how you win. That's what Democrat, that's what Stacey Abrams did in Georgia. So do it here. I mean, I'll use my own example with Lift Our Voices. I'm really not happy that I can't talk about stuff. I really have a lot to say that I'm bound by an NDA from not saying. So what did I do? Did I complain about it? Did I cheat my way out of this? Did I break this NDA? And cheat and say, I'm going to just talk about it and anyway. No, I decided to buckle down and work really hard to change the law and to change the culture and to get organizations to understand why this is the wrong thing to do that they're doing so that hopefully one day fair and square, I can talk about stuff and not just me. Everybody can talk about stuff. That's how you do it. It's, it's called hard work. It's called learning from your setbacks. Right. It's not that complicated. Right? If you don't succeed, try and try again. Like how hard is this Republicans? Good
0: God. Agreed. And it goes right into their whole kind of mindset about stop giving trophies for everybody. It's it's you lose, you learn from it, you work hard, you make it through. It's it's the whole it it makes no sense to me. Um but what are you salty? I am salty about uh the fact that over one million educators lost their job during COVID and the education system in our country right now, especially during the pandemic um, and what it's doing to teachers. And I'm very excited that someone like Joe Biden will put an educator in as secretary of education because I think our system needs a massive overhaul. And the fact that these teachers are all out of work is really sad because I also think when kids aren't motivated to learn or they're not having good learning experiences, which they're overall not right now, that impacts you because when you think at a young age you don't like school or you're you're not motivated, it, it carries with you. Like, I never thought I was great at science and I always hated it, but I also didn't have great science teachers who didn't teach me a different way to learn. And this whole idea that, you know, all these teachers are out of work and that kids aren't learning at the potential I think that they could be is really concerning for me.
1: Not to mention that there are teacher, that there are kids who just don't have access to Wi-Fi or to tablets and therefore just lost virtually a year of school with remote learning. Like, if you don't have access to stuff, the teacher could be bad or the teacher could be good, but if you don't have access to the teacher, we're, listen, this is going to, what's happening now with COVID, aside from the health aspects of this, are that's going to come back and bite us in ways that are just Awful. Just awful for the next generation, if not longer. Because if you don't have kids in schools, or you don't provide them with the mechanism to do remote learning, you're
0: effectively relegating them to, to illiteracy. Right. And when they do go back and they see the friends who could access those materials, they're going to be just discouraged. And that's Discur- going to... Yep. And
1: left further and further behind. And, you know, New York city is a great example where uh, some astronomical amount of kids just are lost. They don't have access to schools because they have nowhere to go. And, um, in a city as rich as this one, I get it that it's broken. I get it that, that obviously COVID has decimated its finances, but if there's one thing we're spending money on, what we should spend money on, it's that. I mean, it really is that. I would be willing to pay more in taxes if I understood and guaranteed that that money would be going towards providing every single kid with a wired house and an iPad or or some sort of tablet to get them um to schools. I actually would I would be willing to pay a significant amount of money more in taxes for that. But I'd have to know that the money was going towards that and not towards like Charlotte and McCree's, you know, billion dollar boondoggle that they spent money on. Right. Uh, and, And of course, nobody has the confidence in this mayor that that's exactly where the money would go. But that's something of all the things we have to tackle. I feel like nobody's talking about that enough. Somebody really needs to tackle that because teachers are overburdened. Listen, it is impossible. I see what's happening in my son's school. They're in person five days a week, which is wonderful for now. But they also have the option, if you want, of doing it remotely. So these teachers are dying because they're teaching, I don't know what it is, but let's say 85% of the class in person. But they also have to teach to the camera at the same time to those kids who are remote. That's really hard. I mean, it's brutal. And But every single one of these kids is at a house that's wired and, and has a school iPad. But they were given. Kids right. who, by the way, don't really, shouldn't say don't need them because everybody's got different circumstances, but in general, are, are much better off than the average inner city kid in New York. And that's something that we have to really think about. We are creating, we already had a two-tiered educational system, um, but it's going to just get worse and worse and worse and it's brutal and I don't even know, uh, that's a whole, That that's a podcast for a whole separate, day and more importantly that's a podcast that like i feel like that's a whole separate podcast that people who are actually educators need to do if it's not being done already right that that
0: the, the problems there are virtually insurmountable well julie what are on a to end on a positive note what are you looking forward to this week um
1: i am looking forward to um well, first of all, I'm looking forward to the fact that the Supreme Court looks like it's not going to overturn the ACA, which is great, um, judging by what um, Kavanaugh, interestingly enough, and Roberts and a few others said during arguments. Um, but I'm also just, you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a return to normalcy. And I know that's not going to happen because I think Trump's going to continue to do the rallies and he's going to continue to do all the whatever. Um I am looking forward to, at some point, Cyrus Vance and Letitia James early next year telling us what their grand juries have found with respect to the Trump Organization and their tax structures. Um, And I'm just looking forward to just Trump just going away. I'm just so tired of him. I mean, I'm hoping that he holds these rallies and does all this other nonsense. He'll he'll preach to the choir, but the rest of us don't have to listen to him because he won't be that important anymore. He won't be the president anymore. I'm really tired of getting news alerts on my phone every five minutes. I'm thinking, "Oh God, what crazy stuff did he do today?" Just tired of it, and I'm looking forward to looking forward to not have to think about who the president is for a day or two.
0: Agreed, that it's just being covered. Like, agreed.
1: Yeah, um, and by the way, anybody who is sending money to Trump to do a recount. It's a scam. He's just taking your money. It's just a way to raise money. You know who said that? Donald Trump. Back in 2016, when he said the Green Party just dropped its recount suit in Pennsylvania and is losing votes in Wisconsin recount. Just a Stein scam to raise money. Or replace Green Party with Republican and replace Stein with Trump. And he's talking about himself. So, again, another piece of advice to my Republican friends. Save your money on the recount stuff. It's not going to amount to anything. All right. What All right. about you? What are you on plans?
0: Well, I'm getting dinner at your house on Sunday, so I'm really excited That's about right. that and what the potential dessert will be. Uh, <laughs> any requests? Any ingredient requests? Yes, I want the uh, the tahini frosting on something, or I want a cream cheese frosting on a carrot or red velvet cake. Oh, okay. Well, you already
1: got the tahini tahini frosting, so I will do a carrot or a red velvet. Cream cheesecake for you. How about that?
0: That's perfect. I'm in a good mood. All right, till next time. Bye. (laughs) See ya.